0: Something strange is happening in the small town of Wheelsey, South Carolina. An alien organism has taken over the body of local man Grant Grant, turning him into a grotesque monstrosity that produces thousands of alien slugs that infect the townsfolk and feed the hive mind. Only the local sheriff and Grant's wife can stop the infestation that threatens the entire world in the 2006 cult classic Slither. I'm Connor Izagari.
1: I'm Josh Allred.
0: And this is Film Filmgasm. <laughs> happy wednesday welcome to the 133rd episode of the filmgasm podcast i'm here with josh allred who drew this underrated modern horror classic out of the elusive book of filmgasm our endless source of potential episodes it had been years since i watched this one and i'm glad i got to revisit it for the show this is such an entertaining movie
1: yeah it never and i actually i i made a i made a remark about that when i when i wrote uh, a review it it never fails to entertain me anytime I'm watching it. Um, I I have it on DVD. I'm gonna try and upgrade it on Blu-ray. I don't know if it's has gone out of print yet or not. Um, but yeah, like it's it's so damn fun. Um, and when we start talking about it, like I'll I'll try to point out like the the things that James Gunn is known for now with the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. It's all here.
0: that's yeah that's i think that's my favorite thing about like you know prior to guardians you only done two two films slither and super and you combine those two and you get guardians of the galaxy essentially and it's yeah the guy was the guy's a rock star um before we get started i do have one update on the rewind Young actor Jacob Tremblay, famous for his roles in Room and Dr. Sleep, has joined the cast of the upcoming Toxic Avenger remake. We covered the Toxic Avenger in episode 98 last August, and it seems only fitting that we get an update for it the week that we cover Slither. <laughs> so I'm curious, what are your thoughts on this upcoming remake?
1: Um, so part of me is like, why are they trying to touch it? I don't think that they're going to be able to capture what makes the toxic Avengers such a special movie um, to folks like me uh, who really love just weird hybrid movies um, as well as just, you can't, you can't replicate trauma movies. You just can't. They're, they're a distinct property unto themselves. And, you know, you, you need a crazy Jewish film nut to make these kinds of movies you you can't have hundreds of millions of dollars poured into this thing and expect something good to come out of it that being said lloyd kaufman has given his blessing and he's really excited about it um but i mean he's also said in the past you know they could remake it whatever you know just pay me for it so i can go make like five more toxic avenger movies Um, so for him really it's It is sacred to him, but he's also willing to let them have let them have a shot at it and see what they can do. I mean, the fact that anybody talking about the toxic event this this far down the road and it's got somebody like Peter Dinklage attached to it, that that says something. And if that encourages more people to go back and discover trauma movies, I'm all about it. Um, Yes, they are a very particular kind of movie and you have to really just take them for what they are. You can't expect slick, wonderful production values and compelling stories. You're, you're going to get something that's going to, you know, knock you on your ass um, visually and it's going to make you laugh and hopefully you enjoy it. I mean, I've, I've had a couple of people that I've showed trauma movies too. And they there's like, this is stupid. Like, why is this funny? Why are you laughing? I'm just like, you obviously don't get it. So yeah, I mean I'm 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 cautiously optimistic. I do think with having somebody like Peter Dinklage in there, I think it's got a chance to be something interesting to say the least.
0: Interesting I think is the best word to describe this thing. I mean, you know, I watched The Toxic Avenger with very very low expectations. And I came away thinking, you know, that wasn't bad. So I'm wondering like you know, and like you said, trauma has a very distinct flavor. And I don't see them replicating that with a budget. And if they, you know, there's a middle ground that has to be reached here. Like it can't be too ridiculous and it also can't be too serious or else you're going to lose what makes this special. So yeah, I'm 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 intrigued by this, but I am pretty sure they're going to they're going to fuck this up. They might,
1: I don't know, Legendary has kind of proven that they can they can bend a little bit. I mean, I know with the first Godzilla movie that they produced, that was pretty for all intents and purposes, a very serious movie. Yeah. But with King of the Monsters and then they produced they produced Kong Skull Island Skull Island, right?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's all the yeah, same. Yeah. yeah.
1: So it subsequently got a little more they embraced what they were putting out and they knew that it couldn't be as serious as it was. Cause I'm sure I know I went into Godzilla 2014, really expecting something. And then it's just like, you're waiting for Godzilla to show up. And as much as I like Brian Cranston, I really got bored with that whole story. And I was just like, just, just bring on the monsters, man. Everybody wants to see a Godzilla movie. They want to see fucking Godzilla. Yeah. And I think they learned their lesson. And by the time we got to Kong, uh, Godzilla versus Kong, you got a, uh, and I'm going to quote the editor of Fangoria, Phil Nobile Jr. Uh, it is the coked up kaiju movie that we've all been waiting for. So that movie is just balls out fun from start to finish. I had a big stupid smile on my face the entire time I watched it the first time with my kids. It was great. And it was one of those really wonderful moments where everybody in a family enjoyed that movie. There was not one person on my couch that was like this is dumb. Everybody was smiling. So I'm that gives that's where my that's where my optimism comes from.
0: Yeah, but Godzilla has a far larger and you know global fan base than the toxic avenger. This is such a niche audience here that they have to do right and I think they're only going to have one chance. Like Godzilla, you know, you fuck it up once, you got sequels to get it right. This you fuck it up once, that's it. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You, you you only have one chance to get this right. I do think like I said with the progression of the of the monster movies they were pumping at, that they have found a way to insert absurdity into a movie and make it feel real. And not like it was just shoehorned in for whatever reason. Because I heard people trying to gripe about the whole Hollow Earth angle in uh, Godzilla versus Kong. And I'm like, they mention it in King of the Monsters. Like, yeah, it's done in passing and it's the crazy guy who's throwing it out there, but like they weren't just pulling that out of their ass. They were continuing on and building on an idea that was mentioned in the, in a previous movie. And they're like, Oh, hollow earth. You say, well, guess what? We're going to go there. And it worked. I, whatever, like say what you want about, like it worked and it was fun. And I, I would, I will watch that movie again and again and again and again. And I probably will never get bored because you'll find something else to enjoy about it.
0: When Caleb and I did our sneak preview on Godzilla vs. Kong, we pointed that out. We pointed out that anyone who's bitching about the realism here is watching the wrong movie. Like, why are you here? It's Godzilla versus King Kong. That's the whole thing. Like, what, what are you expecting here? <laughs> yeah. I'll, ne- I'll never understand those people.
1: It's a monster fight movie. It's like, what is your problem?
0: <laughs> I can just picture those people bitching about the Toxic Avenger remake being like, toxic waste doesn't work like that.
1: Like uh, actually uh that's not what uh toxic waste would do to the human body <laughs> um if he, he wouldn't turn into a giant monster oh, shut the fuck up dude like just go with it just go with it and have fun stop trying to make everything make sense doesn't have to it doesn't have to that's that's the beauty of of film like you make the rules and as long as you obey those rules in your movie Your movie will make sense, and your movie will be fun. Yeah.
0: Just take the stick out of your ass and enjoy yourself. (laughs) Yeah, for fuck's sake. Exactly. Life is so much easier when you just give less of a fuck. (laughs) Hmm. And I think that gives us a great segue to Slither because this is a movie that clearly is having fun with itself. (laughs) Oh, totally.
1: And has a trauma alum that wrote and directed the movie. So... Segues be damned, that's a perfect segue.
0: <laughs> so Slither, do you remember the first time you you checked this one out?
1: Yes. Um, just like with Dawn of the Dead, the remake, I saw them both in theaters. Um I remembered James Gunn's name um because he wrote uh Tromeo and Juliet, which had come out in nineteen ninety six, And for somebody to write a trauma movie just that and have it be as beloved as it is by trauma fans. And Oh, by the way, he also wrote it in Shakespearean iambic pentameter like that in and of itself is an, an, an accomplishment. So he did, he wrote that. And then shortly after that, he made a movie with his wife, Jenna Fisher, um, called lolly love and essentially it's like a mockumentary where uh james gunn and jenna fisher are uh the main characters and they go around giving lollipops to homeless people that's essentially the crux of it trying to brighten up their day Um, it's been a long time since i've seen it um but it is like ridiculously funny um but much like much like what gunn is known for like he, he manages to make it slightly endearing what you're watching. Troma and Juliet is a, is a a fantastic um, trauma movie. Um, It has everything you would want in a Shakespearean adaptation. It's got lesbians. It's got um, people getting their head crushed on fire hydrants. um, Lemmy's in it. And oh, by the way, there's also a penis monster. So, oh yeah, and Juliet turns into a cow. Of course. Yes, of course, exactly. So like, James Gunn has got plenty of imagination. Um, He also has a really good way of making you care about the characters. And that is a real strong point in Slither. Dawn of the Dead, I have, I kind of have like mixed feelings about it. I really, I really like parts of it. Like the opening of it is one of the best openings to any movie in the in like the early two thousands. It has one of the best openings ever. It like lays the gauntlet down and shows you exactly what kind of movie you're getting into. Like nobody is safe in that movie. Everybody has equal opportunity to get fucking killed, and nothing and no one is sacred. So, Slither is really, like, I think the first, quote-unquote, James Gunn movie.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think, we, you know, you, like you said, uh, we can see a lot of what he would bring into Guardians of the Galaxy in this film. And I think, like, you know, his strongest point is his characters. He's so good at writing characters. That's why people loved Guardians of the Galaxy is because the characters popped. Because you liked, you know, he made a film that was that had a talking tree, and a talking raccoon, not only watchable but millions of people's favorite Marvel movie, billion dollar grocer, gave him, you know, carte blanche to do whatever the hell he wanted. Uh, but it started here with Slither, and I, I don't remember when I first saw this. It had to have been like ten years ago at the least. I remember thinking like, this is weird. I hadn't quite watched a lot of horror films to have like a base yet. And I was just like, what is this thing? And it was so strange and not at all what I expected. But I remember laughing my ass off almost the whole time. And then revisiting it now, knowing about Troma and about James Gunn and who all these people are. I enjoyed the hell out of it this time. And I'm glad, like, you know, the podcast gives me a chance to revisit a lot of things. And yeah, this was just a wild ride.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and once you, once you have enough of a background, you, you get, you get to see that he really had a solid cast of characters to lead his movie. I mean, Elizabeth Banks, Michael Rooker, who he would continue to work with later on. Um, and Nathan Fillion, like Nathan Fillion's a great, great actor. I mean, I'd never watched, um, Firefly but I've I've known of him for a while and he is really I I don't know that I could see anybody else doing what he did in that movie Um, he is fantastic and the three of them have like such good chemistry that you know again the characters are really strong and you you give a shit about them even though they are for all all intents and purposes like doing kind of half-ass southern accents like i've i forget sometimes that it's supposed to be set in south carolina until you just said it and i was like oh yeah that's it's not really how people in south carolina sound but all right whatever you know like i'm i'm not gonna gripe about it it's still fun um yeah, and I think, and I think, that is, that is absolutely where this movie sings.
0: Yeah, I, I wish Nathan Fillion like he doesn't, he, you know, he's stuck pretty much to TV for most of his career, but he, you know, with this film, he showed that he shows that he really can lead a film. I wish he'd do more, get more film roles because he's he's really good. He's probably my favorite part about this movie, just you know, good old boyish police chief who you, you know, you like, he's just endearing. You believe this guy could take on an alien invasion and walk away.
1: Well, not only that, like he's, he's a very fallible hero too. Like there are, there are times where he's just like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And he's fucking, he would rather run, but then he's also compelled to do the right thing.
0: Yeah. Like I love when he's, um, (laughs) <laughs> when they're take they're taking on a uh, grant grant at the end and he sees them like people getting absorbed by his like mass and he just goes yep that's some fucked up shit like he just vocals like i don't know what is going on right now but i'm gonna stop it
1: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and and not only that he kind of also in that way he is also um echoing the audience And he's, he's, he's saying these things that like anybody in the audience would see them like, yep, that's, yeah, that's some fucked up shit right there.
0: (laughs) And then, you know, I love that James Gunn just has those lines, those lines of like, yeah, I, like people believing like, what the fuck is happening right now? Like, this is not their normal life. And I love that nobody just kind of goes with it. Everyone's like, what in the fuck is happening right now? Oh yeah.
1: Everybody is very aware that this is not normal. And I, I, I like that in a way. It's not like directly uh, a meta type moment. Um, but yeah, like they're very conscious that something's not right. There's some weird
0: shit going on in their town. <laughs> uh, so as we uh, mentioned, Slither was written and directed by James Gunn, who go on to direct uh, 2010's Super, which I think is a pretty underrated film. That's a really entertaining movie. And Guardians of the Galaxy for Marvel, which propelled him to superstardom and enabled him to pretty much write his own ticket. He did a Guardian sequel for Marvel, was briefly fired from the third film for offensive tweets from like 10 years ago, was brought back after Disney wise the fuck up, and is also doing the upcoming Suicide Squad reboot sequel for Warner Brothers. So in a way, him getting fired from Guardians 3 briefly was good for all of us because now we're getting a good Suicide Squad movie and Guardians 3. So everybody wins.
1: Yeah, totally. And James Gunn gets paid. Go for it.
0: Yeah. Oh, I remember. The, that was so weird. Like, I, this whole thing of, you know, people getting in trouble for shit they did, like, shit they said 10 years ago, like, we don't get to grow as human beings anymore. We don't get to apologize and mean it.
1: I don't. I just I just hate knee-jerk reactions to things and yeah. trying to... Take things totally out of context, you know, like not pulling in an entire conversation where somebody makes a screenshot of the quote that they're like, "Oh, see, look, look, look at how offensive!" Like James Gunn has no problem calling bullshit on people, and I am all for it. They're like anybody, I challenge anybody to look in their closet and tell me they don't have at least one. At least one skeleton of something stupid you said, something fucked up you did. Like, sorry, we're not saints. None of us are. To try and put anybody up on a pedestal, especially celebrities, is ridiculous. They're people. People make mistakes. The thing that makes them much more vulnerable is their celebrity. The thing that so many other people covet and are like, oh my God, Chris Pratt is such a wonderful guy, but did you hear one time you farted on a fucking kitten? Like who cares? Like it doesn't matter. Like none of that matters. None of it matters. Yeah. Stop trying to think that you're holier than anybody else. Cause you're not. And the very people that are pointing their
0: fingers are usually the guiltiest ones. Yeah. Well, it's this whole idea of, you know, I'm a good person so I'm going to show you what a bad person looks like it's people just using these you know this old shit to try to make themselves feel better about who they are and all it does is fuck everybody else and I love that you know eventually Disney was like why did we you know we're going to lose money on this we got to hire him back and I really hope James Gunn leveraged that shit I really hope he did.
1: I mean, I don't. I don't even know that he had to, because Disney knows and Marvel knows that you let him. Like, if any studio worth a shit could could just see if you leave him alone, he actually knows what he's doing. Yeah. And he came from. He came from. He came up through an organization that stresses you know, actually knowing your shit. Say what you want about trauma, but like, it's all about putting everything into what you see on screen. You might not like what you see, but everything (laughs) goes into what is on screen.
0: Well, I love that within a week of his firing, Warner Brothers was like, hey, you want to do Suicide Squad 2? And he's like, yes, I do. And I bet that the whole reason, you know, Disney hiring him back. I bet that's why we're getting a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Because James Gunn said, I want to do a holiday special. And they're like, done.
1: Sure. And they need more shit for Disney (laughs) Plus.
0: That too. But, you know, I like to imagine a world where everybody wins. (laughs) It
1: would be nice. It would be nice.
0: Uh, Regardless, we got him back. And he's, to me, done nothing but great work his whole career. So, you know, let him do what he wants. The film stars Nathan Fillion as police chief Bill Party. Fillion is known in the geek circles as Mal Reynolds, captain of the ship Serenity in the short-lived sci-fi series Firefly and its sequel film Serenity. He also starred in the cop procedural Castle and currently stars in the cop procedural The Rookie. To me, he'll always be the psycho serial killer priest Caleb in the final season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's the first time I saw Nathan Fillion, and thought this guy's scary as shit, and uh, I enjoyed Firefly, which should have gotten more, but it was good for what it was. And I don't watch cop procedurals, so I haven't seen Castle or The Rookie.
1: I mean, you've seen one, you've seen them all. Yeah. They're all pretty much wash, rinse, repeat.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm actually. Some people I,
1: lap that shit up, though.
0: I don't get how they're still made. Like, what possible new angle could anybody have at this point?
1: I don't. I don't even think it's about that. It's about creating something that, no matter what you turn it on, you can. Eat. It's like it's like junk food, you know what you're gonna get. You're not gonna tell everybody that you just ate an entire bag of Cheetos, and didn't bother wiping your fingers off as you were picking your nose, but you were enjoying yourself, and
0: you're not gonna tell anybody about it. That's fantastic. Yeah, I've, I'm. I've never. I've always considered cop procedurals and hospital shows to be, like, just the bottom of the barrel. And I hate when, it's like, my, you know, some of my favorite actors get sucked into these because Nathan Fillion is better than that. And he should be doing, like, he could be doing so much more. But, you know, paycheck.
1: Exactly. He's one of those working, working man actors. I'm surprised, actually. I'm surprised he had, like any kind of bit parts in any guardians movies that would, you know, that would have been something that would have uh, been a nice little, Hey, thanks for coming with me on this first movie and having some fun with me
0: here. Why don't you, uh, why don't you play a bad guy? I think he did play. He did have a cameo in guardians. Um, well, one second. That. Let me confirm that. Um, yeah at the all right so the in guardians when the when they're all sent to the to the space prison and that one big guy's like you know attacks quill and is like i'm the big boss around here and rocket and groot like fuck the guy up that was nathan fillion
1: oh well perfect there you go and then he was supposed
0: go. to be wonder man in the sequel but his part got cut
1: oh that's terrible well i will say this though uh james gunn has repaid lloyd kaufman's uh kindness by allowing him to be a drunk hobo in Slither and uh, subsequently playing bit roles as other downtrodden miscreants in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. So <laughs> nothing else. He, uh, he, he, he remembers
0: where he comes from. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Did you ever watch Buffy?
1: I so I didn't watch it, um, religiously, uh, when it first came out. It was, I was way more into the X Files and that kind of stuff. And I just, I, I I think I was kind of miffed that it wasn't a continuation of like the vibe from the Christy Swanson movie. And I think that's kind of where I was just like, ah, I mean, I get it. It's cool. I, I had since watched it. And I was like, "Yeah, it's not that bad. It's all right. It's kind of pretty, you know, paint by numbers." It, but I mean, that's with any kind of, you know, long-running TV show. It it always follows that formula. Everything pretty much always has to be wrapped up by the end of the episode. So, I I I could definitely see how it would have been insanely popular. Um but yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't on my radar at that moment.
0: Fair enough. I'm a Buffy and Angel fanatic. (laughs) I love those shows so much. Admittedly, the first season of Buffy is terrible. It's really, really hard to commit to that show because the first season is ridiculously bad. But season two really picks up. I love the way the characters are written. I think it's a relatable show at times. And um, my mom grew up, my mom and I kind of grew up watching it together. And I find, like, I remember bits of it from my childhood. And then I finally took the plunge and was like, this is awesome. But Nathan Fillion plays a straight up scary psychopath in the final season. He plays this priest named Caleb, who is recruited by a being known as the first evil. And he recruits Caleb because he's the most evil son of a bitch he's ever met. The first evil sees this guy and is like, that guy's evil. (laughs) And what he does, Caleb like hunts down, you know, high school girls, tortures them, kills them. Like he's, you know, this Southern good old boy, crazy person. And the first evil makes him super strong. And like he fights Buffy and makes Buffy feel weak. And it's a whole thing. And it's the first time in the show where you really start to think like, holy crap, he might actually kill her. And Fillion's performance was so good. And I, I just, I, I love shouting out that performance. It gave me nightmares.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. I might have to uh I might have to check out that little arc.
0: It's pretty bitchin. It's pretty bitchin. Um yeah, phillian He's cool. I think my uncle met him once. Um they were he was filming a show that never happened, like a pilot that didn't work out, my uncle was an extra. And apparently he's he's cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean any any time I've seen him and I watched a lot of the behind the scenes stuff um, on the dvd i have and he seems like a pretty approachable guy um you know somebody you could sit around bullshit with um yeah the the kind of guy that doesn't take himself seriously for sure but,
0: yeah i feel like you know those are the best guys and james gunn would not he seems like the kind of guy who is like super cool and doesn't suffer any fools and brings together a good ensemble
1: yeah no definitely i mean if if what I've seen from him on like Twitter and how he does things, he definitely, he definitely, doesn't play around. He'll call people out if he, if he feels it's necessary. Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: Mad respect. Elizabeth Banks plays Starla Grant, the wife of monster Grant Grant. Banks has appeared in such films as Pitch Perfect, Power Rangers, The Lego Movie, and The Hunger Games films. She also directed Pitch Perfect 2 and 2019's Charlie's Angels. And I'm not really, like, I don't really have a lot of, you know, I think she's good. I think she's all right. I didn't like that when Charlie's Angels flopped that she said it's because men didn't go see it. Like, I didn't like that. Like, no, it flopped because it's a shit movie. (laughs) Like, just accept it.
1: Some people don't want to look at themselves in the mirror when they feel like they might have made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And... Admittedly, probably Charlie's Angels isn't necessarily like marketed for guys. I mean, it's, it should be a women-driven movie. It should be more... I, I, I would think women would be the target audience for that kind of thing.
0: Well, I they mean, didn't see it either because it flopped.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> admittedly, I do enjoy the pitch-perfect perfect movies. Um, they were fun. Um, you know, I'm I'm all about raunchy inappropriate things and um I'm also a sucker for some acapella. I'm kidding, I'm not, but <laughs> <laughs> um it was it was it was something that was interesting to pick up and then um use it as subject matter because nobody was thinking about that shit. Nobody was gonna put make a movie about that. They did, and it worked. I thought it was fun.
0: I haven't seen them. I I don't care for acapella like at all.
1: I like I said, I don't either. But when you watch it, you're just like, I mean, I guess I could see how people might think this is fun. But really, the characters are what engage you because they take themselves so seriously. That's where the that's where the humor comes in, and. Um, Elizabeth Banks character um, is uh, like an announcer for it and her banter with the male commentator who if you remember best in show yeah I'm trying to remember the actor's name I can't right now it's driving me crazy um, but he plays uh, Michael McKean's uh, gay uh, husband in it
0: John Michael Higgins yes uh, right on. <laughs>
1: So, so so those two going back and forth on each other is fucking priceless. So good. Like he's fucking taking shots at her, she's taking shots at him and then they're like, "Oh yeah, and oh by the way, this stunning acapella thing." You know, like <laughs> it's just it's fucking hilarious. It's fucking Watch the first one. You don't necessarily need to see the other ones, but watch the first one and it it's it's funny. Rebel Wilson is fucking funny in that too
0: all right maybe i will uh do you remember the hunger games and how that was like the biggest thing on earth for like three years and then vanished
1: yeah because they're shit ass movies and i liked it better when it was battle royale that's (laughs) that's my argument for that (laughs) somebody somebody came up to me and was like oh my god have you seen the hunger games and i had only seen a trailer for it and i was like And I said exactly that. I was like, yeah, I liked it better when it was battle Royale. And they're like, "Huh? what's that? I was like, get the fuck out of my face, get the fuck out of my face. So, yeah, I mean, I watched, I don't even think I watched the second part of the third movie. Like, I just like, I'm done now. I'm done. Cause they just, they just weren't, I didn't enjoy them. I thought they were trying, the movies were trying way too hard to be so serious. And maybe subtly but not so subtly political and it just felt like a joke i just couldn't get into it
0: i i i saw all four of them at the movies because my mom was, was a big fan and she had no one to go with so i ended up seeing them and i read the books to impress a girl and i thought they were all right but i didn't understand why it became this huge thing and it really started this whole you know young adult dystopian subgenre that I just fucking despise because it's the same thing every single time. Like they're not even trying to hide that. It's the same thing. It's, it's ridiculous. And I just find it interesting that the hunger games, like I remember it was everywhere. People were losing their shit. There was t-shirts. There was like, everyone had the books. Everyone saw them. The movies were super successful. And then overnight it just vanished. Like nobody's like, nobody talked about it anymore. Because like Divergent came out and that was the new thing.
1: Right. And that says everything you need to know about it. Yeah. The fact that Battle Royale is being re-released on Blu-ray in like a giant deluxe. Like that means something. I guarantee you, 30 years from now, you're not gonna see now coming the four Hunger Games movies. Like you're not gonna see that shit. You're just not. You're gonna find that in somebody's fucking basement box. Somebody's be like, "Oh, oh shit, you remember those fucking movies?" Like nobody's gonna care. Like for me, that was such disposable, such a disposable ass movie, and it doesn't. I don't know. It just it 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 didn't have any heart to it. Like I didn't feel anything when I was watching that shit. Like it's just all there for spectacle and pomp and fucking. There's nothing behind it nothing behind it
0: there's a lot of there's a lot of green behind it (laughs) like she just yeah of course yeah she just released Suzanne Collins just released a uh a new book or it was like a year ago I don't I saw it at the store I don't know if it was like new new or old new but I know that nobody's reading it (laughs) and like she partnered with a studio like to make a movie out of this but like the sales aren't that great so I don't know. I do think it's interesting that she was she sued by the Battle Royale creators cuz it is very similar.
1: Um I don't know for sure. Um and I I still actually like I want to get the book Battle Royale. Like I really want to get the book cuz I really want to read that. Like that movie when I first saw that movie it was very was very jarring and unsettling because like you could you could kind of see something like that happening even though it's really like way out there and I, i think it might have been one of the first japanese movies i saw that wasn't a godzilla movie and so like i saw that and i was like what the fuck like it reminded me of like lord of the flies in a way um with, you know, kids being left to their own devices to survive. No adults around and all that stuff. And it's just, it's one of these things that like, no matter how much time has passed, it still feels relevant. You can still feel something when you watch that movie. And for me, it'll, it'll, never, it'll never get old. I mean, I bought it on Blu-ray. Arrow put it out years ago before they did this whole like 4k special edition re-release and it's it might be one of my like top 10 japanese movies that i just i i love i'll i'll never get tired of watching that movie
0: i've only seen it once and that was like seven years ago i think that would be a prime podcast movie revisit battle royale that would be a blast oh
1: totally totally i mean every everything about it is is wonderful like the characters are really good and even the design of the movie. Like you, you are, you are made to feel like you're watching this at home on TV because of how it's presented and the kind of it. You're, you're a total spectator the entire time. Yeah. But at, but you're also like fully engaged in this. Like you really want to see these kids go. And when kids get picked off and you're like, Oh shit, not him. Oh no, they got her! And you're like, oh no, that bitch is eat like it just it keeps twisting on you the entire time, and it never, and it never gets old. The sequel is pretty good too.
0: I haven't seen the sequel. I do have the book. I, I haven't read it yet. Uh, I bought, I remember buying it because I was <laughs> there's a funny story behind how I bought it, but that's not for now. <laughs> um, Michael Rooker plays Grant Grant, our twisted villain. Rooker and Gunn have worked together a lot now with Rooker playing Yondu in the guardians films and set to play savant in the suicide squad. He also played the role of Merle Dixon on the walking dead and has appeared in such films as the dark half Mallrats, tombstone and Henry portrait of a serial killer. And Michael Rooker is one of my favorite character actors. I am always happy to see him in a film and I fucking love him as Grant Grant. Maybe the most ridiculously named character ever. It- who's actually not a bad dude until he gets infected by monster, monster, alien, egg, meteor thing. But
1: no, no, he's no, I mean, he's, he's totally a dickhead. Like he's such, he's such this like abrasive, overbearing, insecure. He's the kind of guy that has metal balls hanging on his trailer hitch. He's that (laughs) kind of dude. Like his balls are so big that he's gotta show you. You see? You see? Yeah, that's right there hanging on my truck. So you can stare at him while I'm driving in front of you.
0: True. But when presented with the opportunity to cheat on his wife, he didn't take it. He he, he refused her advances and was like I I'm married. I gotta go home.
1: I will give him half a point for that.
0: Okay. I don't but, think we saw enough of Grant Grant as a human being to really form a solid opinion on him. It was pointing towards dickhead but there was some redemption in there.
1: Slightly, but I will but I will what I will say about that is this. The the characterization we got of him is he is <coughs> he's way overbearing, he's overprotective of Starla to the point where he like will not let anybody look at her let alone touch her. You know, he treats her like property yeah. and I mean even as terrible as it sounds and and even though there is like this uncomfortably funny moment when he's trying to get when he's trying to get something from her and she's like i don't have a switch and he's like well, of course you do like beep beep, and he flips her nipples like that that is that is so many guys i i, I grew up knowing that you know he's just like if i want it i'm going to get it like that is where like that is where I have my line drawn with that guy, yeah, like it's it's so it's so bad, but what I think he does really, really well in this is and and again, all credit to James Gunn for writing, like you you wind up seeing that there is the heart within that man, and it takes this billions of years old alien entity to bring that out in him
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and it's interesting how like he's influenced by the alien and the alien is influenced by grant grant like there's there's this weird hybrid creation that ends up like taking over the town an alien that is so in love with starla it's very odd and i can't wait to get into that Um, yeah
1: yeah no i yeah I, i definitely want to touch on a lot of that um Because it is very indicative, again, like I said, of what James Gunn does with his characters.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, I have not yet seen Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, because I know it's going to be a disturbing, uncomfortable watch. Have you checked that one out?
1: Of course I have. It is in those movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre that after you watch it, you feel dirty. Yeah. You feel you have ridden along with Henry and Otis, Otis, whatever you want to call them as they've done this heinous ass shit. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with Henry Lee Lucas and how just fucked up the guy was. Oh yeah. Um, but that movie, what that movie does is it kind of, it kind of treats Henry Lee Lucas like a character. It's not, it's not going into anything um, biographical because he lied about so much stuff. Yeah, and did you ever have you watched the? Uh, Netflix uh, series about him
0: I haven't but I'm an avid follower of the podcast Time Suck and they did a whole he did a whole thing on the confession killers so I know I know their story
1: yeah it and like I I had a I had a moment where I kind of like started like feel sort of bad for him but then I'm also like he loved every fucking minute of it he loved all the attention he loved the fact that he could get milkshakes and cigarettes out of these fuckers And he was totally taking those Texas Rangers on a ride the entire time. And they were so stupid to believe everything that came out of his mouth because they were just trying to close cases and be lazy. And he made them fucking pay for it. But yeah, like that, like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, it is is one of the most brutal horror movies that like it's not like there's nothing redeeming in what you're watching. You're just watching some of the most uncomfortable heinous shit and you you just don't like you like you have to question yourself every time you're watching it. Like as you're watching it, you're just like why am I why am I continuing to watch this? Like what am I getting out of this? And for me, what I got out of it is you are you're watching Michael Rooker really put on an amazing performance. Um, Tom Tolls is outstanding as Otis Tool, and um, trying to think of, I think it's Tom McLaughlin. I think who directed that? Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna check who wrote who directed that because, like, that movie is just it's amazing. Like, it's put together so well, and it just, it has these moments where you're just, you're, you're sickened by what you're watching. And I think it, um, I think it says something about us as viewers and, like, how you, how we, like, yeah, John McNaughton, sorry, John McNaughton, how we are complicit in, like, our obsession with serial killers and wanting to know like, like the dirtiest, grossest, nastiest things. And he puts it out there and he shoves it right in your fucking face. And you're just left just like, oh, fuck. Like you're so drained. You're emotionally drained. I encourage you to watch. It might, if it's still on there, uh, Joe Bob did it on the last drive in. Oh, And I encourage you to watch it with Joe Bob talking about it because it gives you a little bit of levity in between. Because uh, Joe Bob has a real good way of kind of like trying to lift you out of it, and you're just like, because you do need a couple of breathers when you're watching that movie.
0: Damn, that's what I've heard, but you know, hearing it from a you know genuine horror buff like yourself, that just I want to see it even more now in a weird, twisted way.
1: Yeah, no, I I mean, it's very hard to try and come from a place where you're justifying having these kinds of things and having watched these kinds of things and being very interested in these kinds of things, because for me, I don't necessarily need to justify my tastes because why do I need to explain to you what, what I enjoy? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to question your choices. And if it's not directly affecting you, I'm not tying you down and pulling a fucking clockwork orange on you and gluing your eyeballs open and making you watch it. Then who cares? i like transgressive things i like movies music writing anything that pushes the boundaries of normal and what is safe and what is comforting and what is like i want something that's going to challenge me and damned if that movie doesn't do it
0: we've um we've explored some true crime on this podcast before not a lot um Back when the, in the early days, I did um, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Myself got to talk about uh, Ted Bundy's crimes. Austin and I did Zodiac, got to talk about the Zodiac Killer. Going into, you know, doing Henry and talking about the confession killers and Henry Lee Lucas and what, what they did, it could be interesting, but I think it's going to take us to a very, very dark place, and I think we all need to be prepared for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um And me, how I deal with watching silly, absurd, disgusting things like that, I got to try and make a joke about it. So um, if I happen to be the lucky one in the chair with you, I'm going to do my best to try and make you laugh.
0: Yeah, I I appreciate that. I feel like we're going to need a laugh when we do that one.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you're definitely going to need it.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's the one I've heard. Like, if you're a fan of Michael Rooker, that's the one you need to see to really understand where he comes from as an actor. And I will, I will, but it's gonna, like, I can't just throw it on. I gotta prepare my whole day to be like, all right, I'm watching Henry today and just work my way up to it.
1: <laughs> yeah, take a shower first.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Greg Henry plays M- Mayor Jack McCready, in my opinion, the funniest asshole in the film. Uh, Henry has appeared in such films as Payback, Star Trek Insurrection, Jason Bourne, and Super. And he also played Peter Quill's grandpa in Guardians of the Galaxy. And this motherfucker has me rolling the entire movie. His one-liners are hilarious. Like, how this guy got elected mayor of fucking anything is amazing. And I just, yeah, every scene he's in is, is gold. I love this guy.
1: Oh, yeah, no, he, um, from from the first time he shows up on screen... <laughs> Move it, cocksucker! Like that right there, and then he like looks over and he's like, "Oh shit, <laughs> how y'all doing?" Like perfect, perfect. Um, and I guess it's um, I guess it's kind of fitting at this moment to uh to acknowledge his name, um, and some of the influences from, you know, some of James Gunn's favorite movies. Um, he has he has said that uh, the thing is his favorite John Carpenter movie, so. Um, I don't know how aware you were this time around and you watched it, but that beginning straight straight lifted from the thing. Just oh, yeah. replace an asteroid with a spaceship, boom. Um and then you've got like literally the name of the the uh the, the funeral home is yeah. RJ McCready's and his last name is McCready. So you're just like boom, boom, boom. There's all those dots right there. Um I mentioned it in my review and I wrote about it that there's quite a handful of, um, of movies that you feel while you're watching this. The two of the most overt ones are The Thing and Night of the Creeps. But when you really dig in and you really look at it, you've even got some David Cronenberg working in there with The Fly and Shivers and even even more even more so shivers because uh James Gunn even said that the design for the slugs is straight up inspired by shivers.
0: That's pretty cool. I haven't seen shivers yet.
1: man, it is so good. It is so good. I fucking love shivers. yeah, that early Cronenberg man, like you you can't fucking top it, you can't. Shivers the brood the brood is another one that he was really into um, like those early Cronenberg movies are so good so good I actually scooped up shivers uh, from Amazon um, and I, I got it for like 10 bucks or something it was on sale or some shit and I was like oh uh, yeah I'm gonna get that
0: It's funny. I saw it for 12 at a local grocery store and I, I didn't get it I was like I haven't seen it what if I don't like it I gotta stop second. How could you not like it? Exactly the argument I made with myself when I got home. It's like, why didn't you do that? Uh, I did notice that uh the name Max Wren is on a store in the in the movie. That's that's Videodrome. Yep. It was cool seeing, you know, RJ McCready and Max Wren. Like I be you know, now that I'm a, I'm a full blown horror buff and I was noticing things, I was happy. I was like, ah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like it it, it show, so and and that was something else I remarked about. Like it's it's often like scoffed at to be very heavy-handed with that kind of stuff um well because people people would look at that and be like oh you're just you're just being you're just being really overt with your references like you could do that and be a lot more subtle like uh," and i mean i put together a collection of short stories that i wrote and i reworked them with caleb and uh i'd sent it to you a while ago um Cause I wanted you to read it and just see like, if you enjoyed it. And there's a lot of that. That's like, you know, I'm literally referencing like Dario Argento, yeah. um, you know, and, and the place that uh, the pizza shop that's in there is called papaluccio's like, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm deliberately inserting those kinds of things. And some people will just kind of turn their nose up at it and think it's very amateurish, but what James Gunn does is it's just there. You know, it's, it's yeah. not done and like rubbed in
0: your face or anything like that. And I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. I did read a few pages of your, of your thing and I did enjoy it. I got caught up with some other stuff and I got away from it, but I am going to keep, I'm going to go back in this summer and check that out. And I'm right there with you. I wrote a, a vampire Western trilogy that is loaded with references to my favorite vampire movies because that's just how I roll. I mean, in the first book, there's this local woman who goes to the church and her name is Mrs. Dandridge. Like, you know, Fright Night. There's, to me, there's nothing wrong with, you know, throwing some love to the stuff that inspired you. And I don't get why people are upset about that.
1: I think, I think when they are conscious of it, it takes, a, it takes them out of it, I guess. But for me, for me, especially like, because I, I, I picked up on some of those things when I was reading and I haven't finished reading Consequence. Um, I started... And I, and I really dug it. I got it to the point where Caleb got killed and I was like, Oh, this is great. I want to write something where my best friend dies. Um, so, so yeah, like, I think, I think when you handle it and it's, it's not like you're holding it up and throwing it in somebody's face. Yeah. It's totally fine because you are acknowledging something that inspired you, like you said. So fuck them. And how many people can say that in three books, kiss my ass. Like, whatever, man.
0: I try not to say that, but I do think it quite often. Uh, yeah, fuck,
1: <laughs> fuck that. Be proud of it.
0: But also, like if I called the doctor, you know, Dr. Acula or something, then I, I get why people would be pissed about that. So there's <laughs> is a line. I, I understand that. <laughs> but when I was watching Slither and I saw the name RJ McCready Auctioneers and Funeral Home, I didn't I wasn't like that's stupid. Why would you do that? I was like, I gotta rewind that. There's no way I just saw that name. And I just got excited. Holy shit. Like James Gunn likes the thing too. And yeah. So cool.
1: He, he is, he is quote unquote, one of us. Like (laughs) he grew up, he grew up watching these movies. They inspired him. He even said it himself. He was like, I wanted to make this movie to pay tribute to all of these movies. I grew up watching in the eighties, like these movies that were fun and were, you know, just over the top gory monster movies and everything about this is that it's the best things that we remember from watching movies that were made in the eighties. It's great. I mean, he even, he even strikes a really good balance between practical and digital effects. Poor Michael Rooker. He should have gotten like some kind of award for going through the makeup that he did. Like anytime you see him on screen, that shit's fucking real. Like it's not, it's not computer animate. Like he's really got that shit on his fucking body. So more power to him.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't get why this wasn't up for, you know, like, like a best makeup Oscar. I mean, it happens with horror films occasionally, not as often as it should, but this, the amount of effort that went into creating grant grant should have gotten an, an award for that. I mean, holy hell, that's impressive work. Um, Slither has an IMDb score of 6.5, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 86%. It grossed only $12 on a $15 million budget, so regrettably it bombed, but it's been reclaimed by the horror community as a cult classic, as it rightly should have. So, all is well in the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it got, like, Shout Factory put it out, like, a couple years ago. And, I mean, it's literally been out, what, 15 years now? Like... The fact that somebody took the time to repackage it and sell it again says something. Like, you watch it, it's, an, it's a good movie. It's a good, fun movie. I, I, I would actually love to see that. Like, like, for me, that's a drive-in movie. That's a movie you get in the car, either with a date or with some friends, and you go and you have fun. From start to finish, you're having fun the entire time.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had to borrow my family's cheap old DVD because I don't own this. But when I was doing the research for the website, I did find that that uh, awesome Blu-ray re-release, and I did think like, "Mm, "I'm gonna look into that because I love the cover, and I I would like to own this one in a nice, pristine edition."
1: Oh yeah, no, I'm 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 all about being a collector more and more. That like like the older I get. And the more that I realize that um, this is kind of like my obsession, this is my thing Um, along with, along with books, like horror books, horror magazines, horror comics. Hey, what up Sean and Ibon. Yeah. I'm talking about you. Um, Like I, I enjoy that kind of thing. And that's going to be, that's going to be my, that's going to be my bag.
0: Yeah. I was talking to a person in my, one of my grad school classes I had kind of an epiphany where I was like, I love history. I'm here, you know, I'm doing a grad degree for history, but what I love more than anything is film. It's my passion. Clearly, you know, I put together this whole fucking podcast network so I can talk about movies, with my friends. And I want to teach, you know, I'm going to, I want to use my graduate degree to teach history using film. I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to teach, you know, use old movies to teach American history and then, you know, teach film courses like, I'm doing a graduate degree as a means to an end (laughs) just so I can do film shit that like, so yeah, this is clearly what I'm passionate about the most. I've been, I usually have like a budget for movies that I've been like, you know, growing steadily. And I, I love that I'm getting to see these new releases and stuff that you guys are showing me. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very comfortable where i am right now in my love of film it's just getting you know it's just getting better
1: oh yeah well i um to show you how serious i am about this i recently looked into getting a shelf that can hold up to 600 movies so i'm not fucking around man (laughs) you want to afford me Um, that (laughs) yeah of course of course i will don't worry i got you covered man um not just for movies, but I mean books too. Like I don't, I don't play around when it comes to books. Um, I'm, I'm trying to um, be practical about it, um, but I'm also like trying to uh, acquire as many uh, horror movie novelizations as I, can. new and old. Um, I have Gremlins, which is like something I have always wanted, and I literally have the the story for gremlins that you don't see on screen because there's a lot more like violent things in it and it also has a brief history of the mogwai at the beginning of it that's really cool (laughs) yeah yeah it's totally awesome and it's only like 75 80 pages i think maybe so it's literally like the script
0: I have so. a um, a while back I got um, a present. It was a first or second edition screenplay of Back to the Future from back like when it was still like a fridge and not a Delorean. That's, that's fucking awesome. It is the weirdest story. It is so different. Like it's crazy. Like that this they needed the Delorean. They needed to, to to trim this down, or this movie would have been a disaster.
1: <laughs> but sure, but you can see how like especially you being a writer and writing and writing not just one, but three fucking books. Like I've told you before, I don't have the patience for that shit. (laughs) So like being able to understand that you have to like shotgun that shit out wide and then look at it and be like, okay, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. I got to, this is important. How do I make it better? Like it shit ain't easy. Um, Yeah, man. I also, uh, and I'll send you the link to the publisher. I also encourage you to look up uh, the paperbacks from hell. It's put out by a company called Valencourt, based in Virginia, which is like 45 minutes away from me. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the author Grady Hendrix. He also, um, he has a huge love for um, basically like, shitty eighties paperback horror novels um, for lack of a better description. And one of them is the nest, which was turned into a horror movie called the nest. It's about giant killer cockroaches. <laughs> um, so you kind of get an idea for what you're getting yourself into, but they literally put out and I don't know how much longer they're going to keep doing it or at least expanding their release, but they have that. Um, and it's, it's really cool. Um, they, they reworked them. They like made them all nice and pretty again. So I'll send you that link along with the 600 fucking movie shelf too.
0: Two things. One, I do want to just throw out that I am writing a fourth vampire book. And B, I don't buy a lot of novelizations, but I, when, I do love when I find out that movies I liked were based on novels, and I do track those down. And I finally tracked down a paperback of Legion by William Peter Blatty. And I'm very excited to have some time to read that.
1: Oh, man, I really want to get it. The copies I found on Amazon were ridiculously priced, so I didn't even want to go through them. Yeah. But I think I might have to try, like, Thrift Books, I think is a really good resource to yeah. try that. There's also a, um, a local bookstore, in Richmond, that has uh, some good stuff so i might try and see if i can get it through them but yeah i'm all about trying to find stuff. i have so many books that i bought recently that i haven't even tried to crack it yet like i haven't even finished fucking george romero and uh daniel kraus as the living dead like i feel so ashamed as much as i love romero that i haven't even finished that
0: Yeah, I you know, it's the end of the semester. I got big old papers to write, but once I'm done with that, I'll have a three-month break in the summer where I can actually read some good stuff. Uh, Down here in Texas, we have a local chain called Half Price Books, which is the greatest store in the world. It's all super cheap used movies, books, and records. And it's, like, where I get most of my shit.
1: I have heard about them and I've tried to check them out online, so I might have to dig a little bit deeper. Um, If happening and come across some stuff while you're there shopping just let me know and we'll uh and we'll we'll do some business
0: <laughs> no problem that's where i got legion and i find shit there every day there's one right by my apartment so i go there but like three times a week <laughs> and perfect the stock isn't rotated quite as fast as i i would prefer but you know i do what i can <laughs> uh so slither um uh, we already covered, like, th- my first two talking points are about the R.J. McCready auctioneers <laughs> <if you're wrong. laughs> and Max Wren Videodrome store. Uh, one thing I do want to point out, because it was so damn funny, and I don't know if it was intentionally funny, the lady doing the crying game karaoke was so weirdly uncomfortable, and I was laughing the whole time.
1: No, like, that is totally, that was totally intentional, Even even more so. Like, you don't see it in the cut that we watch. Um, But I watched uh, Slither again and I watched it with uh, James Gunn and Nathan Fillion doing a commentary for it. And he says that like this lady is like one of his favorite people during the, during the making of this movie because she just totally nailed it (laughs) up to and including, and I kid you not when she's done, she just puts the microphone down, lifts her hands up, like, she just fucking scored a touchdown. she's like, nailed it. And then she just walks off.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: <laughs> like, what else are you going to do when you nail the crying game like that?
0: <laughs> My God. That was funny. That's great. Um, yeah, we get that weirdo, weirdo scene where Grant Grant, I just love saying, I, I won't say Grant. I'm only going to say Grant Grant because it's so funny. You have to when Grant Grant is trying to seduce his wife and he does that weird nipple flip flick. And it's just so uncomfortable. You can tell that, like, she does not want Michael Rooker's, like, gross body on top of her. <laughs> it's just so uncomfortable. Uh, but it tells you everything you need to know about the two of them pretty well. Mm. Uh, the... Uh, I thought this was cool. And especially because now that I know this movie, when Brenda is just hanging out at her place, she's watching the fucking toxic Avenger.
1: (laughs) Surprise, surprise, surprise. I wonder how they got the rights to show that. Hmm.
0: Oh my God. Yeah, it's great. And I love that. I was, you know, I was able to be like, wait a minute, that's the toxic Avenger. And I just wrote it down. Like I can bring that up on the show.
1: It sure is. So, um, one of the extras on the DVD, and I don't know if you caught this, but there's a, um, there's a video diary by Lloyd Kaufman. So he's recounting his entire time on there, and he's going like, I have a, I have a old trailer here. Like, I've got, I've got a fridge that I can, I can put stuff in. I've got, got a microwave. And i got a closet, but look, no hangers. No, no hangers. And then and then he's like sitting there going over, he's like, I know James from when he wrote Tromeo and Juliet is really, really stringent about the dialogue. Like he didn't want to deviate from it. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ad lib my scene. (laughs) Because he did he did have lines in the movie and what he was supposed to do to Nathan Fillion, he's just but as as he walked by, he's like, "You're kind of cute. What are you doing later?" But all he was supposed to say is, "What are you doing later?" So Lloyd was like, oh, "I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking go off book here," and as he's talking about it, they cut to a black screen with just the words that come up. Lloyd's dialogue was removed from the final cut of the movie, so. So all you see is him sitting there, sad and drunk looking. This is so funny. Like, and there's a conversation between him and James Gunn where he's like, "Do you want me to like, do you want me to like, really ham it up being drunk and stuff?" He's like, "No, no, no, just, just be yourself." <laughs> <laughs> but he like he he literally introduces Lloyd to Nathan Fillion. He's like, "It's Lloyd Kaufman. He got me my start in uh, with, with trauma and stuff." And he's like, "Yeah, like." we actually sat and watched the toxic Avenger and Nathan Taylor's like, I fucking loved it. And I'm just like, yes, like people fucking taking trauma on and loving it. Like, I love it. I fucking love it. Love that shit.
0: That's great. Especially, you know, and it's James Gunn kind of, you know, paying his respects to his roots. And that's, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah. And like Lloyd Kaufman, like he says, trauma is the herpes of the movies industry. They will never go away. They'll always be there, some form or fashion. You'll never forget about them. That is
0: weirdly beautiful, isn't it? it? And it, that, it, it,
1: that right there, weirdly beautiful. That should be, <laughs> along with movies of the future, should be part of the tagline for trauma. <laughs>
0: Hell yeah. Um, the bit where Brenda gets impregnated is grisly and freaky, but the way it's cut with the jamboree (laughs) makes it seem hilarious. It makes you laugh at it.
1: So that was actually cut down. Um, And there was uh, um, essentially like a monologue by uh, Grant Grant as the creature talking about how he's fascinated by being a human and he literally is talking about, you know, I've been around for billions of years and I've done all these things. I've gone to all these places and it's nothing like being a human. And this is great. And then he goes on to essentially rape Brenda. Like that's what it is. Yeah. Can't, you, you, you can't mince words on that. But again, because it's cut in between it's not as upsetting. Yeah. It's weirdly punctuated. Like the way it's the, the way it's cut up, it really I think it I think it kind of like lessens its impact like than if you would have just watched that. Because like he is like ordering her around at one point. He like tells her, like, why don't you go sit down and take your shirt off? and you're so oh, fuck like oof so uncomfortable. Yeah. But that's where Michael Rooker is amazing. Like he can play menacing and terrible and evil. But then if you go back a little earlier to like the day after he gets infected and um Starla is there playing their wedding song. Yeah. And he like is crying. That is the creature experiencing love for the first time through Grant. But she doesn't know it. So like, there's so many layers yeah. to these. It's uh, so good.
0: So good. Yeah, it is beautiful how they treat the creature kind of learning in that scene. Cause as soon as Grant gets hit with this, with the, Creatures like Brainstem or whatever that is He's gone Like Grant's dead This thing is wearing Grant now Grant Grant And It is cool seeing this thing kind of learn What it means to be human And experience love and feelings and whatnot Through Grant Grant's own Thoughts and feelings It's it's really neat It's a piece of the movie you're not really paying that much attention to The first time
1: I think you're I think you're kind of taking it for granted and the phrase I used when I wrote my review was it is a beauty and the beast love story packaged in a monster movie. Like that's what Slither is. It's beauty and the beast packaged in a monster movie. And enough, the, the barb, that hits grant grant that is the creature like that is what it is it goes inside something and then it just spreads like a cancer that's the best way to describe it because by the end of it that's exactly what you see it's like it looks like a fucking cancer that's just spreading and spreading and spreading until it consumes everything um and it does i think i think grant is still there but he's kind of like in the, in the back seat, so to speak. The creature's driving the car, but Grant is still there in the back seat somewhere because he comes out at certain times and you, you kind of see that he's still there, but he's losing that battle as time progresses in the movie.
0: I would have I think it would have been neat if at the end like Grant Grant assumes control again or something and like blows up the thing himself. I think that would have been kind of cool. But, you know, what it, what we ended up getting was badass. Oh no, I
1: liked it because I think the way it was done when you showed him having this like hive mentality yeah. where essentially everybody is Grant that is, that's great because you because you give other actors a chance to channel Michael Rooker in their own performance. So I, I I thought that was really great. And oh by the way, like we're also glossing over a lot of the awkward, crazy moments in his transformation. The fucking grocery store scene where he's just looking and he goes meat. Yeah, uh, let me get let me get like four of them revised. No, 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 no. How about twelve? No, 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 no. Fourteen. And he just, all, and then he looks, and he looks at the fucking butcher, and he goes, you're meat, like, that's the fucking creature, like, looking, going, like, oh shit, what am I talking? Your food too." Of course you are. It's not just this stuff in the fucking package. Um, that dog, oddly enough, James Gunn mentioned that dog as like being the sweetest dog ever. and except for the moment where uh, uh, Michael Rooker picked it up in the scene where he like he goes after the like you see him talking, like you see the dog barking at him, he picks it up. It's like that dog was terrified <laughs> when Michael Rooker picked him up, but it's like she was the sweetest dog ever. She was such a nice dog. Um, that that transformation is it's subtle, but then like it happens fast. Like you see him nesting in the basement, and the that creature who okay. So I don't know if you picked it up because I think they might have cut the line out, um, but the thing refers to itself as the long one so um i'm trying to think of the strutmeyer girl's name hold on i have i am up here Where is kylie she? kylie yeah, yeah, yeah kylie she is uh talking to Bill- and she's and i think this is in a delete she mentions that he refers to himself as the long one because in again i don't know if you picked up on this or not the first time or the second time but the scene where the slug is in the tub and it's coming at her what does that shot remind you of elm street straight up bam so When that when that whole scene comes around, I was was watching it the other uh, actually last night. I was watching. I was like, "Oh man, it's it's," like if you're gonna do an homage to Nightmare on Elm Street and not like go to straight copy it, this is what you do." It was fucking wonderful. Um, And then you get that scene where it's halfway in her mouth and she starts to connect to it. And you see the fucking horrifying reality of what they're dealing with and just how fucked they are at this point. And Oh, by the way, again, we've missed the fucking one of the other awesome parts of this movie where Brenda was in the barn and he had been feeding her fucking raw ass meat. And then he leads bill party and the other cops into the barn to see Brenda who was described as a giant tit and her head was the nipple like
0: god oh
1: but again that is one of the most like uncomfortable like just gross like it uh it just made my skin crawl when i saw it and she just fucking gets to these fuckers are tearing me apart. And she just explodes fucking slugs. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Just fucking gross. So far, like, and that's something again, James Gunn said it like, that's something that horror movies were lacking at the time, just being gross and like uncomfortable. Yeah. And this movie delivers
0: on that shit. Well, I love the buildup to everyone kind of not, believing that like what's happening to Grant Grant is what's happening. Like I love the mayor trying to argue, well, he's got Lyme disease. <laughs> like, you touch some deer feces, you eat a sandwich without washing your hands, you got Lyme disease. And Party's just like, and that makes you look like a squid. <laughs> I love it
1: because he's like, he's like, well you
0: fucking put your hand in some fucking deer feast and you
1: eat a damn sandwich, don't wash your hands. Got your Lyme disease. And that makes you look like squid. You're just like fucking a right. Like he, like that's why I said Bill Party is the audience. He's looking like the fuck out of here, man. You are full of shit right now. He is trying. He's also, also hearkening back to a horror movie. He's the mayor in Jaws, denying everything that's happening right now until it literally fucking bites him in the ass. And oh, by the way, sheriff's got to fucking put your ass down.
0: In that bit, when he's like, kill me, Party, kill me. There is zero hesitation on Party's part. Boom.
1: Because you know, you know, Bill Party's been waiting to do that shit for a long long time.
0: Also, just want to throw this out there. His full name is Jack McCready, which is Kurt Russell's character in The Thing and Kurt Russell's character in Big Trouble in Little China, Jack Burton, the Pork Chop Express. So fucking love
1: this (laughs) fuck yeah of course of course
0: (laughs) there's some layers layers and then later you know james gunn got kurt russell to be the bad guy in guardians too so things just come around like ah so good um there's some lines during the grant grant hunt that made me laugh so hard like somebody mentions the term needle in a fuck stack which i've never heard before and i love that uh they mentioned the Castavet family, which is straight up Rosemary's baby reference. That was nice. And then this, yep. this was so bad, but so funny. It's when one of the guys, I think uh, I don't remember who it was, but they're asking about Margaret. And somebody just responds, Oh, Margaret packs a box lunch. I've never heard I've never heard it described like that. I was like, oh my god, it took me a second.
1: Well, of course, of course, because that is that is quite antiquated. Um, what's antiquated uh, hate speech, I guess would be one way of putting it. Yeah, <laughs> um, perfect yeah.
0: for small town, South Carolina. Sure.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. And again, that's what makes these characters like so believable, because not going to lie. I've heard it. I've heard it called that more than once in my younger days so not in that direct phrasing however which i'm not saying i may or may not use a line like that because hey you gotta you gotta pay respects to the people that inspire you and why not use something like that
0: look hateful or not that's a great fucking line
1: it is it is it 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 says so much about the person saying it than you ever could with a Stephen King-style description of their personality. <laughs> yeah. And I think what James Gunn does really well with his characters is the things that they say and how they say them say everything you need to know about them everything and it and it brings them to life in a way
0: yeah he does that in guardians as well like when you first meet quill and he gets away from you know with the power stone and there's that lady that's in his ship and he forgets her name and is like i'm gonna be honest with you i forgot you were here Yeah, right there everything you need to know about quill (laughs) Mm, so good (laughs) and then one guy describes grant as he looks like something that fell off my dick during the war like that's
1: that 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 might be one of my favorite lines in the movie, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah it's it's perfect and accurate because that is some fucked up makeup it's perfect
1: that to quote Bill party that is some fucked up shit right there,
0: <laughs> yes, indeed, it's not my favorite line. my favorite line comes later <laughs> from uh from the mayor uh there's that little bit where grant slight like slices that dude in half with like a whiplash movement, yeah. That was fucking awesome. Ugh, creepy.
1: Hey, did you uh did you happen to uh, see who Doctor Carl was?
0: Oh yeah, I got that in my my film guys and facts later on. <laughs> that was awesome. Yep. Uh, the acid spit I thought was odd that it only like affected flesh.
1: Why the fuck not? <laughs> everything everything else in this movie you're going to nitpick. Come on. Come on. Fair Connor, enough. Connor, take your advice. Take the stick out of your ass. Have fun.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll give you that. It was just weird <laughs> that like acid spit happened and then it never happened again.
1: I think I think if nothing else, it was just an excuse to watch somebody's neck swell up like it just got stung by a million wasps and I was waiting for it to just fucking explode to be honest
0: yeah yes it was that
1: okay so will i will segue this to talk about um again it's uh this movie's homages to other creature movies from the 80s and when um i'm trying to think of the the deputy's name where is he Wally. So when Wally is shot with a shotgun by Starla, the fucking slug it, like that happens in Night of the Creeps. So that is again where fucking Gunn is like, right there, right there on screen, just paying tribute to, in, in my opinion, one of the best creature movies from the eighties that isn't critters is fucking night of the creeps. (laughs) God, I love that movie
0: so much. I love that movie so much. You probably will not be surprised to hear. I haven't seen it.
1: No, I'm definitely not surprised, but I encourage you actually. Okay. So I recently upgraded on a copy that I have and I have it on Blu-ray. I want to make sure I still have it in the box if I've still got it in the box, I'll mail it to you.
0: Oh, cool. Right on. Thanks.
1: I mean, I got, I got like a sweet copy from Eureka, um, who's a dis- uh, the distributor that, did, um, that put together the Fright Night Blu-ray. Yeah. They did a release of Night of the Creeps, and it's got some really good extras on it. I will give you the, um, the Blu-ray that I had for years and years, and I'll go ahead and send it to you.
0: Sweet. Awesome. Yeah, I'll
1: check that out. Thanks. It's fucking worth it. Like, it's, it's literally... And, and again, it's one of those movies that has nods to other horror movies. Like, Fred Decker made that movie. He directed it. And one of the characters, his name is fucking J.C. Romero. <laughs> J.C., does that mean anything to you? Romero, does that mean it? Like, on, and then there's a scene in a bathroom... Where it fucking literally has Monster Squad rules.
2: <laughs>
1: cool. Exactly. And it's got Tom Atkins. How can you not love a movie without with Tom Atkins
0: in it? <laughs> that, that sounds awesome. Yeah. I, I'm sure yeah, I'll love no, it. No,
1: it's great. Yeah. I'll check it out. And I mean, I, I don't need two Blu ray copies of Night of the Creeps, but yeah. Because yeah. it's you. Because it's you, and I will chastise Caleb and make him buy
0: his own. Because fuck <laughs> him. He <never> it. <laughs> oh, can't wait for him to hear this episode. Um, I I'll love tell it- him right now. Whatever,
1: I'll text him. He can kiss my ass.
0: <laughs> I, we brought this up earlier. I love that the hive mind becomes Grant. That everybody in town is Grant and is in love with Starla and is trying to like get her to come back to him. I love that when he, when she talks to Wally about it and like he's like you know I love you what does he call what does he call her sugar something I don't remember yeah sugar something yeah but it's just funny that this billions year old alien has been affected by Grant so much that it's in love with her <laughs>
1: well not well not only that and and that's but that's where I think that whole Grant creature shift is like it's it's hard like 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 as much as i want to hate grant grant from the beginning of the film this is where he becomes very endearing and there's there's still that humanity in him it's still there it's just it's in the background and he's fighting to come out and i think the creature is kind of amplifying his insecurities and his, and his love too. his love for Starla is the only thing like he even said it to her. He even said like, I was never going to hurt you, but now I can't trust you because she was calling the cops on him. And it, it, it really goes back to the fact that this is a love story. Like as much as as much as on the surface people won't look at it like that, it is absolutely lutely, it is a fucking love story. It is beauty and the fucking beast.
0: That's neat. That's a cool I, way to look at
1: it. And this is me. Well, this is me coming from my scholarly, academic, college-educated ass, studying film and and being able to look at what you see on screen and then use it as an example to support my thesis. My thesis is yes, this is beauty and the beast packaged in a monster movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. And challenge me. I dare you because I have all the evidence on screen. So come at me, bro. Not you. I'm talking to any of these little stands and Judy's on the internet that want to come at me. Um, But yeah, no, it's, but it's so fun. It's so fun. And I think that's what, right before the finale, that's what makes Grant Grant so endearing and their story so endearing. Even though Bill Party's fucking really like hurting himself while he even says it, he's like, surprised you can hold that beer carrying that torch for so long. Again, it's a it's a little throwaway piece of dialogue that says so much. It says that Bill Party has been in love with Starla for so long that even one of his good friends is surprised that he can even lift a beer to drink to wash down his sorrows. And what does Bill Party say? Fuck you, fat ass.
0: <laughs> well, and in the end, you know, he doesn't get the girl. She did love Grant. I, I like that. I like that she, like, she really did love him. And, yeah, sad. <laughs> I, um the, tr- the combination of, you know, human and creature from another world, like, combining to create a even more deadly animal. Because I would argue that the in- introduction of human imagination and feelings and love makes this creature infinitely more dangerous. And, it reminded me of... Do you ever watch Justice League Unlimited? No. Well, there's an arc uh, where Lex Luthor suddenly has superpowers. And everyone's like, how the hell did Lex Luthor get superpowers? And it's revealed that he got infected by Brainiac. And Brainiac has been living inside of him, gestating for years, waiting for its moment to come out, shed the Luthor pieces of him, and then you know be Brainiac again. But Luthor convinces him that he has human imagination and together they can conquer the universe and reshape it into, their, into a new image and Brainiac can be a creator so they unite, create this new they call it like Lexiac or something, it was stupid but that whole idea of you know emotionless space creature meeting human with feelings and human thoughts and whatnot it made me think of that and how we created something more dangerous and if party hadn't been there to blow this thing up where else like what would it have done it would have it might not have been just content to destroy anymore it might have created it might have built new worlds in its own image and conquered and not just destroyed
1: perhaps I think its track record speaks for what its intentions probably would have ended up being um, I if Starlo would have been taken out because I think the the creature's desire for um, self-preservation and, uh, you know, uh, you know, expansion, I guess, for lack of a better word, um, would have seen it just consume everything. Everything. And it wouldn't have stopped in tiny little wheelsy South Carolina it would have continued to consume the entire planet because that's what it's done for billions upon billions upon billions of years. Um, I think again, if we use the beauty and the beast analogy, I will quote. No, I won't quote. I'll paraphrase from Peter Jackson's remake of King Kong where Jack Black says, "Twas beauty killed the beast grants humanity still inside that beast is what led it to dying because he cared and loved genuinely loved starla even though when we when we come to see him in the film he's deplorable like he's considerably older than starla we find that out that she was just a little teenage poor girl from the trailer park grant had a bunch of money so of course he's going to get the pretty girl that was the only thing that managed to save anybody which is literally three people from that town that we know of
0: yeah they're gonna have some explaining to do um yeah but i always think like if you know if it had killed starla and conquered earth what happens next like after it's conquered the universe what does it do after that? And that's where the imagination part comes in. If, if Grant's still in there, then this thing still has a bit of human in it. And that part is going to be, it's going to influence the creature. The, what do you call it? The long one?
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's what it called itself.
0: It'll influence that and move it towards imagined, you know, some imagination. So I'm wondering like, if this thing hadn't been destroyed, it probably would have, gone on to do some interesting things.
1: Possibly. Yeah. I mean, even if going so far as like trying to attach it to some man-made creation to get it back out into space.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because that's been, that's been its whole existence is to just hop from planet to planet. And
0: yeah. Yeah. So my favorite moment is when um, uh, McCready freaks the fuck out over the lack of Mr. Pip.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. I'm glad you said this. I'm glad you said this because I sent you the screenshot and I I don't like to call attention to these kinds of things. I, I like to mention it to my friends because I think it's I think it's fucking cool. Um, so I posted then the first night I was watching uh, slither. That's when I watched it with the commentary and I had got to that point. Like that's one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite parts in the entire movie is when he's fucking sitting in the backseat and he's fucking bitching, about there's no God damn Mr. Bam. And I fucking, I fucking posted like, um, so I have this, I have this ongoing thing from my Instagram and Twitter where I'm posting uh, tonight's feature. And I shamelessly borrowed that from the director Joe Lynch, who posted tonight's feature and then who throw up a little poster for it. So I posted tonight's feature, Slither. And I was and I put a little caption that said uh I made sure to stock up on Mr. Pib. You know, I'm watching James Gunn's uh, I called it a gooey gory creature feature. And I sent you the fucking screenshot from when he liked that tweet and I was like yes fucking yes the guy who made the fucking movie actually liked what I wrote even if it's just that little bit just a little bit I was like I feel validated I feel good thank you thank you sir thank you you don't know me for shit but you saw that and you were like this guy's cool
0: awesome I felt great that was Fucking unreal that was so cool (laughs) and i do just because i love it so much i do want to just go ahead and say the entire mr pib quote because the whole goddamn thing is funny so fire away mayor mccready gets in the car and goes where's the mr pib i told your secretary to pack mr pib it's the only coke i like Goddamn Brenda exploding like a water balloon. Worms driving my friends around like they're goddamn skin cars. People are spitting acid at me, turning you into cottage cheese. And now there's no fucking goddamn Mr. Pip. <laughs> I love that, like, this is what finally triggered him. This is what made him lose his shit after everything he's seen. This was it. No
1: Pip. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and not only that, not only that, it tells you exactly what kind of person he is, which... And I, will, and I will tell you this, and I don't know if I've told you this, my family, the Allred family, comes from Texas. Oh. So, the fact that he would dare say that he loves Mr. Pibb is an abomination, as far as I'm concerned. So, fuck you, Mayor Jack McCready. You have no taste, sir. You are more concerned with saving a dollar than enjoying your carbonated beverages.
0: <laughs> oh, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Pepper is basically the, the, the soft drink of Texas. And Mr. Piv is its inbred backwater cousin that nobody actually enjoys. So, yeah, this is fucking crazy.
1: No, it's, it's fucking terrible. Didn't know this. Didn't know this. Okay. Again. Said I wasn't going to go on tangents, but I'm going to go on a tangent. So I told you, all Reds from Texas found out my great grandfather. His name was Oliver Gene. He was called OJ. Right?
2: Mm -hmm. So
1: we're from, they're from around west, like northwest Texas ish area found out there's actually it doesn't exist anymore there was a town in northwest texas close to lubbock called all red texas google that fucker it's there's literally like a train station that says fuck that like not even joking not even joking that's where that's where my people come from apparently but dr pepper it's like the lifeblood in my family. I I don't. I don't. I might have a vanilla Coke if I'm feeling weird, but like it's fucking Dr. Pepper's shit. I would drink nothing at a fucking restaurant when I was a kid if they didn't have Dr. Pepper. There's Mr. Pibbles, like, what the fuck is this? And my mom would, and my mom. It's the brown half of my family. It's the Mexican half of my family. She'd go, it's okay. It's the same thing. No, it's not mom. (laughs) What are you talking about? It's, it doesn't say Dr. Pepper. Now, being that I've said all that, I built myself up. I come from the land of Dr. Pepper. Like the fucking, the men at work come from the land down under. Like, I will say this, I have never had Dr Pepper warmed up or hot. Have you? Is that a thing? Yes, it is a fucking thing. I kid you oh. not. So, no, listen, listen. My uh my grandmother, who is not from Texas, but she married my grandfather is from Texas. She said, no shit. Not even not even joking. She said that you can drink Dr. Pepper warmed up and it tastes tastes great. It doesn't, it's it's not like, it's not the carbonated wonder that we know, but she's like it tastes good. So I am, I'm going to put, I'm going to put her advice to the test and I think I might have said something to Caleb about it. Don't know if I have I'm not sure if it's like true or not, but I'm going to ask him about it and you should ask him about it. But yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I've seen advertisements that show you can drink Dr. Pepper. Oh, so check that shit out.
0: I don't even like room temperature soda. Uh, oh my God. That's disgusting. <laughs> I imagine it's like drinking straight up fucking molasses. Probably, probably. It's probably really fucking like, uh, <gasps>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You I'm just uh, you just Ugh. feel your fucking arteries constricting because of all the sugar and you're just like, I'm uh, going to go into
0: diabetic shock. But I like, guess it's a thing. Like when you leave a bag of gummy worms in a hot car. Oh, like, God. And then you just drink it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. My first experience with Dr. Pepper, I'm pretty sure it almost killed me. <laughs> I, um, I was like eight, nine years old. I was visiting my uncle in Texas and you can't you couldn't get Dr. Pepper in Maryland where where I'm from at the time and he had Dr. Pepper in his fridge and I was like what's this new fangled beverage and I tried it and I'm like this is the best shit I've ever had in my life and I drank nothing but Dr. Pepper for three days straight (laughs) and I'm talking like 20 plus cans of this shit and I went to a Fuddruckers I got Dr. Pepper and then I woke up in the middle of the night, on the third, like on the third night, with the worst headache I've ever had in my life, I thought I was turning into a werewolf. <laughs> it was, I was like, I had that moment of like, oh my god, <laughs> just complete, like shit's about to happen. <laughs> it was the worst. I thought my brain was on fire, and I had, I, I had to be like, I had to stop drinking the doctor
1: <laughs> You felt like fucking David Naughton, and you heard fucking I, and you heard fucking credence in your brain. Yeah.
0: I didn't mean to call you a meatloaf, Jack. I was just going crazy. And (laughs) I I built up a tolerance since then. But at the time, like I went, you know, fucking Squidward in the patty vault on that shit. It was bad.
1: All right. So So I found a description of this. Hot Dr. Pepper is a drink that straddles the line between the two, which is like what is, you know, when is a soft drink no longer a soft drink when it's not carbonated obviously so when heat is applied to a cool can of soda it transforms from a light refreshing soft drink into a thick sweet tea odd as hot soda might sound it's really not all that different from say a glass of hot cider like that classic wintertime beverage it warms the innards on a cold day delivering a healthy dose of caffeine for good measure
0: who the fuck is this
1: for that's disgusting. I don't know, but look. I don't know. I'll, I'll send you the picture, but look at that Hot shit.
0: Dr. Pepper. Oh my God.
1: It is a fucking thing. It is a fucking thing. Now, lest you forget, Dr. Pepper, like they were trying to treat sodas as cure-alls for everything. Yeah. And if this isn't propaganda enough, it's telling you: Frosty endorses. Hot Dr. Pepper, you fucking psychopath.
0: I know that that shit, I know Dr. Pepper was like invented to treat stomach ulcers or something. But the, Hot Dr. Pepper is like, I feel like that's the shit Leatherface's family drinks when they're eating people. Like, I would never drink that. Because like, they
1: don't believe in refrigeration.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, the very concept makes me gag. I, I would never, I would never even, no way.
1: I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Just just for the sake of science, I'm going to do it. Now, here's the thing, though. Do you go for just regular off-the-shelf Dr. Pepper, or do you try to find pure cane sugar Dr. Pepper and go for it? That's the thing. That's the thing.
0: I feel like at this point, you might as well just be brewing your own Dr. Pepper. (laughs) Fucking moonshine it. Just go... Just go nuts.
1: <laughs> we, don't, we don't like that fancy store bought Dr. Pepper around here. We make our own Dr. Pepper.
0: I, I bet that's a thing. Somewhere in the backwoods of Texas, that's a thing. People are b- brewing their own Dr. Pepper in a fucking bathtub out back. <laughs> God. Ugh.
1: And if you have a recipe for bathtub Dr. Pepper, why don't you email us at filmgasm at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at filmgasm, or you can hit up me at zombiekiller. That's Z0MBKLR. Hit me up with your bathtub Dr. Pepper recipes, and uh, we'll see what happens.
0: I think it would be hilarious if we got like a deluge of just people who were so offended. I drink hot Dr. Pepper. I'm a, I'm a real person. Fucking <laughs> <Just laughs> like cancel culture comes after us. I exist, damn it. I'm here. I drink hot soda. Get used to it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, my last bit on Slither I love the bit with the grenade and how that just fizzles out. I thought that was so goddamn funny. Just ends up in the pool out back and just explodes.
1: Well, because that's, what's supposed to happen in every action movie. Yeah. This is not every action movie. This is supposed to be not a movie. So of course it's not going to fucking work. Of course. And then you know, he's, he's, he's pushing the stakes. Yeah. Up to the point where fucking Bill Party's got one dick of the two dicks in him trying to pump
0: away. <laughs> oh my god. There's no fucking way Nathan Fillion walks away from that. Like he got pumped full of alien guts. He is he's fucked. At the very least, a new a new bit like a new thing's gonna gestate at him. And like this is not over.
1: Well, I only I only saw the pumping going one way. I don't I don't expressly remember seeing because they try to establish when uh, Grant Grant hits uh, knocks up quote unquote knocks up Brenda that he's got both hooks in yeah so that with one in the job's not done and so by him grabbing the other one and fucking capping it on the propane tank that's when the transfer happens and instead of it being a a one-way street to party town bill party town that is (laughs) it is uh it is a one-way ticket to gasville
0: i know i just i feel like regardless of impregnation getting pumped full of alien guts can't be good for you (laughs)
1: Oh no, of course not. Oh no, there's there's definitely something that's got to that's got to happen. However, however, I think I think this movie ends the way the way you would think a movie like this is supposed to end. Not not in the typical like boy girl come together, survive the monster Everybody's happy. It's like, fuck. We just survived the worst party ever. There's dead bodies all over the floor. Oh, by the way, don't tell your mom and dad we partied at their house. I hope everybody that was left in there can get up and walk out on their own. Spoiler alert! They're not because they're plastered everywhere because a goddamn bomb went off in there.
0: Well, there is a so, the yeah, there is the post-credit look, scene with the cat getting possessed by the last creature. So, like, this is going to happen again.
1: Could, yeah. doesn't, because we haven't had a slither two, and I don't think we need one. No. I do, I I do kind of like the, ha uh, ha wink, wink, funny, funny, like earworm planted in there that, you know, it's going to happen again. But then you, so if you want to ask the question, if Grant was the brain, what is the slug then? If, if, if it's not an extension of it, you know, if it's not autonomous and can function on its own, what is it then?
0: I don't know but i do know that the collector in guardians of the galaxy has these fuckers in one of his boxes oh shit seriously i don't remember that in the background of guardians uh in one of the boxes with the of the collectors collectors collection are the slugs from slither
1: god damn it now i'm gonna have to look at that okay you know what thank you james gunn you i love you (laughs) that's all I'm gonna say I love you James Gunn if you not want somebody to be a PA and fetch your coffee and rub your feet while you're making your next Marvel masterpiece
0: I'm here I do want to point out one more line I fucking love from Mayor McCready Uh, he's talking about the worms and he says if this shit's contagious and I turn into a fucking mollusk or something I'm gonna sue those bastards and then he turns to Margaret and goes And you can sue right alongside of me. I don't care if you're a lesbo. You don't deserve this shit.
1: (laughs) So you probably wouldn't have passed the studio heads with dialogue like that now. Yeah. And this is, okay. So this is where I I will side with the shitty character in that it's not... It's not a direct reflection of the person who wrote it. It says everything about the character and the kind of people. And that's where you can, that's where you can find the relationship to the realness and the reality of characters in movies. You give them these bits of dialogue and you give these, give them these bits of characterization that lends them. To actual people you have come across in your life and as much as as much as we want to work or be in a place where everybody is unified and everybody's voice matters and everybody's feelings are considered it's not always going to be like that you're always going to come across somebody who does not want to do that who wants to hold on to these archaic dumb unfounded ignorant stances on who and what a person should be in any stripe in any shape form or fashion me personally i am for all intents and purposes an undeclared satanist like i don't care what you do in your own home in your personal life on your private time doesn't matter to me because it doesn't affect me the minute you want to push something on me the minute you want to tell me that what I do and what I think and what I believe is wrong then we have a problem and it's really brilliant when you can have a filmmaker have characters that are very real and very resonant and very true to the world that we live in. And it's, it's somebody from 15 years ago. How many of us have not heard somebody say something off-color and stupid like this in our own life now? It, and that's why films like this are still relevant. It's why films like this still have an impact. Good, bad, and indifferent.
0: Well, McCready's whole character is he's an outspoken asshole who just doesn't care. And, you know, I've never faulted filmmakers or writers for creating characters that are assholes like that because that's just, it's part of the story. It's, this guy's an asshole. That doesn't make James Gunn an asshole. You know, I've never, I feel like we don't even have to defend that. Like, that's always been the, the way it is. Like, that's Well, you
1: shouldn't. You, you shouldn't have to, but there are plenty of people who make it their business to want to hold somebody to task for that. They want to hold somebody up for like, why are you writing characters like this? Why are you doing things like this? And it's like, look, these are people that I've come across in my life. Starla was named after a waitress at Denny's that James Gunn came across. <laughs> like, like any good writer, they take from their real life and they input these people and they exaggerate them to populate their world that they've created on the page, good, bad, or indifferent. It's not, it's not for me to say that these characters are, you know, valid in their beliefs i'm using them i'm using them as a tool to illustrate my story does jack mccready make it through this fucking story no because he's a piece of shit human being even grant grant who has some redeeming qualities in his own personality he doesn't even make it through there are only three people that make it through the end of this movie Three people. Yeah. And you could argue that the majority of the town is innocent of all of, of all of those things. So
0: this is never know. like yeah, but this is like this never came up in my like when I was watching the movie, I never thought like how could James Gunn write a character like this?
1: To me, I no, was like, No, 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 no 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 no. Hilarious. no, 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 is. It is. I'm, I'm trying to is. no, 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 yeah. where people like we had alluded to before with tweets that he had from fucking 10 years ago yeah. you know like people want to try and drag that out into the light and say like he's a terrible person blah blah, blah. like fuck that shit yeah. like if you look if you really look at what he does with his art anybody that is a morally fucking questionable character and says terrible shit they don't fucking make it, That's especially true. in this fucking movie. That's, that is true.
0: Yeah, he's, to me, he's a great writer. He's a great filmmaker, and I wish him the best, and I think that it's time to just, you know, stop with that shit. Like, let it, you know, I, I, I was raised to, to believe that people's actions mattered over what people said, and now we've completely reversed that in society. And I don't like that. I think it's time to stop. You know, we need to remember we need to learn to how to forgive each other again. That that needs to happen. Or else we're Definitely. just gonna keep fucking ourselves over in like this endless circle of of disaster that just makes us all miserable. Oh. <laughs> um so here are some filmgasm facts. Number one, I don't know how this happened but i thought this was hilarious. Michael Rooker accidentally broke his glasses off camera while doing kung fu kicks by himself.
1: <laughs> so that was part of his his personality. And his just how he how he gets into the the mindset and his method and just how he conducts himself when he's in there. And that's actually something that James Gunn and Nathan Fillion talked about in the commentary for Slither. They talked about how it was during the the scene in the woods when he's with Brenda and he's just, they were just like, yeah, Rooker's just out there being Rooker doing fucking Kung Fu kicks. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, he broke his fucking, gla- yeah, he broke his glasses. It's just Michael Rooker being Michael Rooker fucking around,
0: having some fun. That's fantastic. Uh, Number two, the voice of Dr. Carl, who talks to Starla on the phone, is Rob Zombie. Fuck yeah. (laughs) So cool. Um, And number three, Grant is established as wealthy and actively worried about other men showing active interest in his wife, and he has his controlling side that is definitely inching towards the wrong side of turning ugly but when given the chance to sleep with Brenda, he refuses her advances. James Gunn revealed that Grant died as soon as he was infected, but the resulting entity retained much of his personality, including his genuine love for Starla. That's nice. So Grant's last act on Earth was to not cheat on his wife.
1: Even though he was pissed off because he could get from her and then went to the bar.
0: Nobody's calling him a hero. We're just, no, yeah,
1: (laughs) not saying that at all. Not saying that at all. Just saying that he was turned down by his old lady. So he went to the bar with a boner, which, as any man knows, is a bad idea. Don't go to the bar with a boner, gentlemen.
0: Yeah, or else an alien brainstem thing is going to shoot into your fucking chest and kill you.
1: Yep. Every time, every time happens every time i've seen it i've heard about it hasn't happened to me personally
0: because i don't do that but if i did i wouldn't do it i have lost four friends to (laughs) alien brain stems outside the bar like this needs to stop (laughs) uh i give slither an eight it's hilarious over the top as hell perfect creature feature
1: I give it a 10 out of fucking 10 because I just love it so fucking much. Like the fact that we've gone on as long as we have and we've talked about the things that we've talked about, even things that you're just like, wait a minute, I tuned in to listen to you talk about brain slugs and fucking rednecks and a giant bloated titty woman. And there's so much to for lack of a better for lack of a better word unpack about this movie and it's it's all it's all a testament to james gunn he's a he's a great writer he's a brilliant director and the fact that he could have the actors that he had to lead this movie and he got the performances out of them um i didn't mention this in the beginning Uh, Elizabeth Banks was one of the earliest actresses that read for the part of Starla, and James Gunn was like, she gets it. She knows what I want from this actor. and she's going to give it in this performance. So she was literally one of the first people that read for this part, and she got it. So that says everything you need to know about James Gunn's writing, Elizabeth Banks as an actor, and what you see on screen.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. It's clearly he had a vision and he knew what he wanted. And it's cool to have that you know, confidence as, you know, early on in your career like that. I think everything he's done so, like, so far has been fantastic. And I would not be as excited about the new Suicide Squad if he wasn't in the chair.
1: I mean, okay, so we didn't even talk about it, but like another characteristic of James Gunn that um, exists, started here, is his use of music. Like you're, okay, so the, so the song by Air Supply, you're every woman in the world to me. James Gunn said, I love this song. It's a great song, but it's also kind of creepy it's creepy in a way that like every woman is you. Like when you just think about it at its purest form, every woman in the world, it's you. It's not them. It's just you. It's disturbing. It's weird, but like he uses that over and over and it echoes as the movie goes on. You don't just hear it once. I think you hear it two or three times, yeah. and it's still there. Um, and it just shows that he can he can use every facet of filmmaking to uh, drive the narrative and get the point across in what he's trying to do.
0: I love the end credit song as well, uh, "Baby I Love You" by the Yehus. Just at the end of this, kind of everyone's kind of broke, broken, defeated, not really sure what to do next, and the song comes on. I was listening to the lyrics, like, "There's no way that's what he's saying," but yeah, he's saying, "Baby, I love you, but leave me the fuck alone."
1: Yeah, <laughs> but again, and that's and that's because you have an ending where, in, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna get a uh, real classic Hollywood uh, analytical theory on you. Uh, David, uh, what's David Borders or I don't know. He's some fucking asshole. I had to worry about studying when I was getting my degree in film studies. Um, basic uh, Hollywood uh, movie making is that there's always a heterosexual coupling at the end of the movie, and if anything, like you said, Starla is still in love with Grant Grant by the end of this movie and although he's gone and bill parties there that song if nothing else says everything you need to know about that notion of because we've been through all this shit together why don't we just why don't we just get together no i get it you got a boner for me bill don't fucking touch me right now, man. I've just been through the ringer. My boyfriend was impregnated with an alien weird fucking spore that wanted to consume the entire planet. But I don't want to be your girlfriend right now. And it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. It goes, it, it acknowledges and then goes against conventional Hollywood storytelling all while being produced and distributed by universal pictures
0: (laughs) universal started with horror never forget that oh boy guess what (laughs) thanks for listening everyone hope you had fun this was a blast next week we're sticking with the book of filmgasm and discussing caleb's most recent pick which just so happens to be one of his all-time favorites A group of friends rent a cabin in the woods and fall victim to a brutal, flesh-eating virus that takes them out one by one. Don't miss next week's show, where we dive into Eli Roth's directorial debut, 2002's Cabin Fever. Also, be sure to check out our Best Picture Swap Out on Oscar Sunday and our post-Oscars recap on Monday's sneak preview, as well as whatever the Giggle Guys got for Friday. Until then, if you find a meteor in the woods and there's something moving around in there, don't stick your face in it or you're going to end up possessed by a hive mind of slug creatures. Every time, four friends. See you next Wednesday, and keep watching movies.